Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And, you know, the last couple weeks have not been generous to me. Where last week we're talking about lust and adultery. This week we're talking about uh, divorce. So, you know, it's just really good and in our face this morning. But what I pray that as we read this, and, you know, we're going to spend a little time here in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to jump to a couple other spots to really bring some clarity. What, what I really believe that Jesus is trying to communicate here about relationships, about navigating this space. And so I'll read, and then I just want us to pray. Kind of, God, just, just help me to see what is it within this that you want me to hear? What is it within this that you intend to challenge me with? Because there's not a time that we get into God's Word where there's not a place at which God is speaking directly into where we are. So let's read these verses. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 through 32. It says in verse 31, It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this morning. God, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to come humbly before your throne this morning, Lord, with all of our sin, with all our faults and failures, God. Lay them at the foot of the cross and just embrace and engage you. God, I pray that you would speak to us through the text. God, let it be your words and not my own. God, let us just humble ourselves before your authority and your power and your might and your glory this morning. God, just as we've sung, Lord, our confession is acknowledging our worth and value in you, but also our unworthiness to receive anything that you would have to give to us, God. Lord, you are good and you are gracious, and I just ask that you would just bless our time together in Jesus' So, church, this morning we continue our walk through the Sermon on the Mount. And, you know, the last few weeks, Jesus has been very kind of more down on the ground with where we are, very specific to the spaces at which we're navigating. And, and there's been kind of a, uh, in a lot of ways, there has been a, a trend. There's been a trend, and we talked about how Jesus was going to really be very clear and bring some clarity to to some of these spaces, that thing I want to turn off. There we go. Bring some clarity to some laws, and he's going to talk about. He's talk. He's going to talk about it by the time we're done with this. Six laws at which he kind of navigates, and we know that because he begins and with you've heard that it was said. And so what he's doing is he's referencing some Old Testament law, the law that Moses would have given and presented to the people, and he's wanting to bring clarity to that. And so the last two weeks, the last two things we've talked about is we've talked about anger and we've talked about lust, and we talked about their significance and how they affect other people, right? Because that's what he's got. Into. He started very personal with us, how we personally come before a holy God when we talked about the Beatitudes, right? This is the type of attitudes that we have, the people that we are in Christ and the, the, the mindsets and the perspectives that we engage with. And then he kind of moved on and challenging us out of our comfort zone, moving us to a place at which we would be more engaging in how we navigate those spaces. And, 
And so I think there's something really unique about how he's moved into this space. And it could seem very out of place where you're like, you know, we've talked about being salt and light. We've talked about how Christ came to fulfill the law. Then we kind of made a shift. And then we're like, we're talking about anger. We're talking about lust. And then we talk about divorce. Right. And it seems very out of place. It seems odd where it's at. But I think there's more significance there than maybe what we always that maybe we would realize, because if we're honest with ourselves and we kind of take a moment and, and, and consider these things, you know, anger and lust are more than likely some of the main contributors to what? To divorce. Right. Because it's this breakdown of relationships, you know, whether we're even talking about a husband or wife or even relationships outside of that, that these things contribute to the breakdown of relationships between individuals. And so he moves into this space where he begins to give this teaching and he's bringing some spiritual clarity on how these things contribute to this thing, but also in how we navigate that space and And so there's just a couple of things that I want us to recognize and for us to see here. And I do believe for each and every one of us, you know, that we can find how God is speaking into where we are relationally. You know, whether we've navigated divorce, whether we've had family that have navigated divorce or whether we're navigating our own relational spaces, that Jesus is speaking directly to a circumstance and situation at which we are. Now, and so there's two things that I want us to kind of touch on and focus on here. And the first thing is this, and I think this is important for us, and I've kind of touched on it a little bit, but the reason for the teaching. Why would he go here? Why does he go to this moment? Why does he begin to lean this direction? And so he kind of starts the way that he has started all the others. You know, you, it was also said, or he's referencing the Old Testament law. You know, you've heard it said in the Old Testament law that it was said to give her a certificate of divorce. And, and, and so that's in verse 31. And so what is he referencing? So he's referencing a verse uh, or a, a passage of Scripture from Deuteronomy 24.1 when Moses is presenting the law and he's kind of laid out several different things. And remember, the law was given to the people of Israel to to govern how they navigated their spiritual space and how they dealt with each other and how they represented the kingdom of God. And so, you know, Moses presented this law in Deuteronomy 24.1. And I'll kind of read, I'll read this verse and then you can kind of see the context of what Jesus is referencing here in Matthew 5.31. So Deuteronomy 24 verse 1, it says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found no in, some indecency in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house. So we kind of see this laying out. And so the first thing we have to acknowledge is, is first off, is, is God's law commanding divorce under certain circumstances? Or is Moses? No, that is not what he's saying. That is not what he's saying. And so like many other things in the Bible, there are a lot of times that the Bible kind of gives direction for things or kind of uh, presents certain uh, aspects of things and gives governance to those things. And a lot of times someone outside of the context of the Bible would read that and be like, well, he's condoning that, right? Like, so, you know, some would say, well, he's condoning divorce. There's other points in the Bible that wish someone would read and be like, well, God's condoning slavery. God's condoning murder. But what we have to understand is that there's a context in which the Bible is communicating into something to bring governance to something or to facilitate something in a way that, you know, with slavery, for instance, these things were happening. 
And so if you read the full context of the Bible, it's very obvious that the Bible is against the misuse of humanity and individuals and treating people any less than than being created in the image of God and the value that they have as a creation in the image of God. But, you know, as God is speaking and as Jesus speaks into certain situations, we see governance and, and kind of things talked about or illustrations brought into it about masters and slaves and these types of things only because as these things are happening... God intends, and, and we'll see this even in, as we're talking through divorce, these things are happening. And so there's a, there's a reason at which the Bible speaks a certain way into those things. And what it is, is it's to protect the vulnerable. That these things are happening. And that just like you and I know, that whether the Bible or whether anybody outright gives authority and says yes or no to something, certain things are going to happen. And so what the Bible does and what God does in a lot of ways when He presents these laws and when He gives these things to these people is He's trying to rein these things in to control these things and kind of help give them guidance as they navigate certain situations. And so when He says this, He's not condoning or commanding divorce. And He's not saying that it was okay, but He's providing instruction in navigating it to protect the vulnerable to protect those who are most vulnerable. And in this situation of divorce, who is the most vulnerable? It was the women. Why? Because in this day and age, a woman had very little social status. They had very little place in the social construct of of humanity unless they were having babies or taking care of the home. They really had no value. And so that's the beautiful thing about God is that when God leans into the situation of the vulnerable, He intends to protect them. He intends to take care of them, you know, whether it's children or women in these circumstances, you know, because what was happening is that Jews, you know, in this day and age, they had a very low view of women. They viewed their wife as property to be used and dismissed. And so you can only imagine that how some of these interpretations of the law would come into play with the different religious people or just people in general. When they would read a verse like this, when it would say that if they found some indecency in her, there were different camps, different views, and different interpretations of that. Different people would interpret it differently depending on what they needed from it, to be honest. And there would even be some interpretation, some commentary that I read would say that some of the religious people would even okay divorce if their spouse or their wife overcooked their meal. That they viewed that as indecency and then they would dismiss them. And a, dis- and a woman in that circumstance, would, to be dismissed, would be a, a liability. Like the- and then no one else would want them. And so then a woman on their own in this context, in this day and age, was very vulnerable. And in most situations would die and just be left alone and, and just be neglected by everyone and seen as an outcast. And so Jesus is leaning into, the, you know, and God leans into this situation to bring some clarity because what Jesus is doing and what Moses even intended to do with the law when God had given him the law and when Moses presented the law that God had given him is he's establishing a process to make it more difficult for, for divorce. He was attempting to make it more difficult for divo- uh, with divorce so that if emotions played into it, it would allow time to pass. And what did he say? He said he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, sends her out of that. Like there's a process to it, that it wasn't just that he cast her out, but that there was a process. Because he did, and this is, he did not con- command it or condone it, but he wanted it to make it where it could not be a hasty or immediate decision. 
And so he's bringing some structure to the situation as they're doing this, as they're navigating this. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, Moses insisted upon writing a, uh, writing a writing of divorcement that angry passions might have time to cool and that the separation, if it must come, might be performed with deliberation and legal formality. And so I know this seems like a lot of jargon right now and we're getting to where we need to go, but I needed to set some understanding about why this would even be included, like why this would even be here. And so remember, Jesus is bringing clarity to laws and so he begins to bring some clarity to laws. He talks about the certificate of divorce and why. And in, in Matthew chapter 19, and here in a minute we're going to jump there so you can go ahead and start prepping to be there, but in Matthew chapter 19 verse 8, Jesus says this. He says that we had to do this because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. It was not so. And so even with cause for divorce, it was never to be seen as the preferred or easy option. It was never meant to be the, the way at which it goes. Now, does the Bible list out some things? And we'll talk about those things as we move on. But I really, I really love the way at which Jesus engages divorce in Matthew chapter 19. And so we're going to go there next. But, you know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, uh, 31 and 32, he's simply bringing clarity to a law that was previously communicated by Moses through the law. And... and and what Jesus intends to do, and as he moves further into his ministry, even beyond the Sermon on the Mount, when we get into Matthew chapter 19, is he's wanting to remind them of something that they've lost focus on. And I think even in our modern day and age, it's something that we've lost focus on, and, and it's the beauty of what marriage is. It's the beauty of what we have. You know, and, and, and there's, there's going to be, we're going to kind of bring this plane home as we kind of move further on. But to help them understand something, because remember, we always, to hermeneutics or reading the Bible with intentions and getting from it what's really there and not us reading into what we, we want to hear, is seeing what's there and seeing the situation and understanding the context. Because what was a regular practice of Greek and Roman culture was to have relationships outside of marriage. That was a regular practice. And so in that point, the people he's speaking to have a very low view of marriage. They had a very low view of women. They would have looked for any opportunity to break that covenant off and to, to do their own thing. And so Jesus first off is bringing clarity but then as he moves further on into Matthew chapter 19 we see the second thing or we see Jesus's true focus when he speaks into this subject of divorce and so Matthew chapter 19 he says this and, and what I believe our second kind of focus this morning is this is not the not the end but the beginning not the end but the beginning and so if we move on to chapter 19, we see this. It says, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, He went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed Him, and He healed them there. And the Pharisees came up to Him and tested Him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? So... What we see there in verse 3 is we see the religious leaders do what the religious, religious leaders do and what they've done in many situations throughout the Bible is they've come to challenge Jesus. They've come to test Him. They've come to find something wrong. And so what they're doing is they're speaking into a situation that the humanity has taken and perverted, that humanity has taken and used to their own ability, used for their own good, 
And I love how Jesus responds and what we'll see here. Because the thing is that these Pharisees, they knew the answer. They knew what the Old Testament said. They knew what the law said about it. So they, you know they had ill intentions when they approached Jesus with this question. When they come to Jesus and they say, and, they say, and the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And so he brings a question there. He's challenged. Why? Because they wanted to see if God would be contradictory towards God's, if Jesus would be contradictory towards God's law, or would seem to not hold marriage to a high standard. Then, as we continue, we see Jesus' response, and this is where, for us, you know, there's a lot of ways at which we can navigate this space. And listen, there's a lot of things we could say about the idea of divorce specifically or how, that, how to navigate that or different things about it or when or why or whatever. And we're not going to spend so, as much time on that because of how Jesus approaches the question. And so Jesus, he doesn't go reference the law as he did last time, but the question was, there was no question last time, right? There was no ill intentions last time. When, when they bring the question this time, they're asking about divorce in regards to when it is okay or what cause. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus doesn't go to Deuteronomy 24 to answer this question. But what he does is he goes back to Genesis 1. He goes back to creation. He goes back to the beginning. God's intimate work in creation and the covenant between man and woman. Jesus wanted them to see that if they pursued the pattern of God's intentions and care in the relationship between man and woman, that they would have no need for the divorce laws. He, that they've come asking about when is it okay for a man and woman to divorce. And how does Jesus answer the question? He begins to go back to creation to help them understand what God established, how He established it in the intentions about what He meant it for. Because he knew, like, if we approach this, if we pursue this, then you don't need the laws. The only reason you need the laws, the only reason we need these things is because, and like he says later on, the hardness of heart and the way in which we navigate because of our, the, the sinfulness that we deal with. And it's a, that's an understandable thing and it's a true nature of who we are, but he speaks into it. And Jesus went back to talk about marriage rather than divorce. He doesn't focus on the end. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back to the beginning of it. Not the breakdown of it. He doesn't even go back to the story of sin in Genesis 3. He doesn't go back to where man and woman, they, they dishonored each other by sinning and by going against God's command and then they lied about each other and they're arguing, well, she did it. No, he did it. And this all he didn't even go back to that. But he went back to the beginning of the establishment of it. You know, and I think for a lot of us, you know, when we consider that, you know, the beginning of a marriage is always the easy part, Right? That's the, you know, the honeymoon phase, when things are great, grand, and you're happy, and just things are fresh and new. And I think there's something to say about that. You know, when we consider the creation narrative, when Jesus begins to teach on this in Matthew 19, He wanted there to be a focus on the foundation of what it meant for a man and woman to exist in a covenantal relationship together, committed to each other. Because he wanted to focus on what would keep the marriage together and intact, not for reasons to step out of it. And so then he continues on in verse 4. 
And he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? He references Genesis 1.27. He, he chose creation. And why? Why does he choose creation? He chose creation because Jesus is asserting, his author asserting God's authority over marriage. It's God's, it's God's institution. It's God's hands that made it. It is God's hands that molded it. It's God's hands that hold it together. It's God's hands that sanctify it. It's God's hands that make it holy. So Jesus is asserting God's authority over marriage to help us understand and remind us that it is God's, not man's, that we don't have the authority to dictate marriage that God already has. And that's a beautiful truth, not a limiting, not a loveless truth, but that's a beautiful truth that marriage within itself is God that it's his authority, that it's his covenant, that he is molded together and that he is pressed together. From the beginning, from the beginning of this complementary relationship between man and woman who were created different, but created to be together. This relationship was foundational. And so that's why he goes there. He goes to what holds it together. He goes back to what it's built on. He goes back to the idea of what started the beginning. When they're asking about the end, they're asking about the breakdown. They're asking about the reasons why. What is the cause for it? Jesus says, have you, have you not read that in the beginning that God made them man and woman? And then he continues on in verses 5 and 6. And he says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What God has joined together, let no man separate. Let no man separate. So he says, early on in verse 5, he says that, that they, they should leave his father and mother Right, this the unit that we were born into, the unit that we are a part of, the unit that 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 was holding us together, and and, and that complemented us and protected us and provided for us. It says you leave that unit and you become a part of a new unit. You become united in one flesh to another individual that God has placed, that God has molded, that God has shared together. And it says that, and you hold fast. Or you hold tightly. You know, it's, I, every time I read that phrase in the Bible, like I just imagine us holding on for dear life to things that are so valuable and important to us, right? These things that we just grip on to. You know, I've always said as I've even navigated things in my own life, you know, it's like I can't hold fast to what's important if I'm holding fast to lesser things, right? If I've got a strong grip on my past, if I've got a strong grip on things from my past that made me comfortable, that made me feel valuable, that made me feel accepted, that made me feel important. If I'm holding on to those things, then I'll never be able to truly grasp the reality of the beautiful things that God has blessed me with. The beautiful things that God has put in my way, the things that God has provided to me, that God has placed in my life. You know, because what God is communicating here is he's not he's saying this is not a social construct, that marriage is not a social contract or a social construct, it, nor is it a legal obligation. But God has done a work within the context of this holy covenant. And this is where we have to reclaim the beauty of what it means to be married. 
what it means for individuals to live and cohabitate and live life together and parent together and forgive each other and show mercy to each other and show grace to each other and navigate that relational space that is very difficult. You know, I read a statistic this week that said that that the divorce rates are at an all-time low, 50-year low right now. And that would seem really encouraging. But the reality is, is that the reason that divorce rates are low is because marriage rates are low. People have stopped getting married. They've stopped leaning into that commitment. They've they've lost the view and the value of the beauty of what it means to be committed in a covenantal relationship that takes work, that takes sacrifice. But in the midst of that, you know, I tell my boys all the time, the greatest things you'll ever have in life are the things you work the hardest for. Our relationships within that context are the greatest gifts we can have if we'll work hard for them. It will either be the greatest gift we've had or the worst nightmare, depending on how much we commit to it. Because there's nothing worse than a dysfunctional relationship. Because why? Because your spouse can break you down and tear you apart better than anyone else can. Why? Because they know us, right? If they wanted to. We hold that power, but that's that meekness that we talk about in relationships. That's that, that forgiveness and mercy that if that's not present in a relationship, then there will be constant weapons dealt on both sides that we can just use to just tear each other to pieces. And what Jesus is doing here is he's reclaiming the beauty of what it means to be in a covenantal committed relationship to each other. And, and, and that's why it's so significant even for us in our day and age to see that, that even the idea of marriage within itself has been cast off as just the social construct created by man to control women or, or to, to get our taxes or you know, to get money from us or whatever it might be. I mean, regardless of your legal views of what marriage is, man, there is something so beautiful about the cultural steps that we take and the commitment we make to each other. Why? Because once we're married, once we've entered into that formal covenantal, like, you know, they're talking about the certificate of divorce, this very legal process. Once we've entered into that in a, in a marriage covenant together, to get out of it is difficult, right? But if we're not, if we're just cohabitating, if we're just living together, you know, and, and we love each other, we, we were committed to each other. The moment something bad happens, the moment there's a situation that happens, that exit is a lot easier, right? Because there's no legal, there's nothing nothing binding us legally. There's no process. It's just, hey, I don't like you. I don't like spending time with you. I'm I'm kind of sick of you. I'm out, right? But in, in the relationship of a husband and wife, when we've made that marriage covenant together, and even within our cultural legal standards of what marriage is, thank God that it's made us moving away from each other more difficult because it's forced us to lean in as we should lean in and work through that process together. And so what Jesus is doing here, you know, he's telling us, listen, the life we live throws many things at us and then to pull us apart and infect that unity that God has made. But he says, Jesus says here, he says, let not man separate. Why? Because what God is communicating is God is saying that God is on the side of marriage and the marriage covenant. He says, let not man separate it because God is on its side. 
God is on the side of making it work. God is on the side of pulling it together. Everything that is done within the marriage is done to reinforce this binding. Marriage, I read a quote this week, marriage is given not to two people, not that two people should do one thing together, but that they should do all things together, be glued to her. You know, and so as we've read, as we've read, you know, about this, you know, that word divorce at its root, at its root, and I didn't mention this earlier, but at its root, the word divorce brings about this idea of cutting off or cutting apart. And so if, if within the context of marriage, if two people are molded spiritually into one flesh, one entity together, then a divorce is kind of like an amputation, right? It's kind of like an amputation, and you know, I always kind of, I always get medical at some point or another because that's all I know. But there are times, and, and the scripture speaks to it a little bit, and we'll just talk about this a little bit because the Bible says it. There are times when an amputation is necessary. You know, in, in a healthcare setting, there are times when an amputation is necessary. Should the amputation be the very last resort? Yes. And that's what Jesus is speaking to. You know, Jesus eventually, as he gets down here in, in uh, chapter 19, he speaks of this. He speaks because of your hardness of heart. Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but in the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, you know, and so he begins to tell this, you know, in verse 7, give her the certificate of divorce and send her away. Like he reiterates all those things. He talks about that, that he said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 and 32, and what Moses said in Deuteronomy. But I love that in, in Matthew 19, he focuses on the marriage. Why? Because he wants that amputation to be the very last resort. The very last resort. That you've done everything to try to restore. That you've done everything to try to forgive. That you've done everything to try to navigate and to grow and to redevelop and reclaim what God had started. But there are spaces at which that amputation is necessary. And so what he does is he wants to bring clarity. What Jesus does is he brings clarity to the word indecency that is used in Deuteronomy 24.1. And so he talks about it. He talks about sexual immorality. You know, and then also Paul brings some clarity to it when he talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7.15. He says, But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. And so their situation with this hardness of heart, an unbelieving spouse, whatever it might be, that is causing a, a problem within the context of that relational state that is, is sinful or that is damaging. I mean, you know, obviously God does not want us, you know, anyone to be in an abusive uh, physically or emotionally relationship, you know, and then he speaks of, of, of being used and abused, uh, you know, and being cast out and being neglected, all these things that kind of play into, uh, you know, the sexual immorality or the leaving or separating of an unbelieving spouse. So there are things there that justify per se as a last resort, the amputation. But the thing that we have to know, you know, and, and, and if you've navigated divorce personally or if you have family who's navigated divorce, it's inevitable, just like an amputation, that divorce has lingering effects, right? It has lingering effects, whether it's on the individual or whether it's on the family. You know, there's going to be issues. There's going to be things that contribute 
to the lingering effects of the amputation. And that's why when Jesus teaches on this, he starts with what the foundation of the marriage is, what the foundation of that that covenant is. And he's like, this is what God has made. This is why God has made it, that God has molded this together. Let not man separate. So what is he pleading for? He's pleading for the marriage covenant to make it. Because, and then, you know, the Bible kind of talks about this a little bit. We won't get in, kind of spend a whole lot of time here. But he talks about it. And I say to you, you know, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, marries another, commits adultery. And then the man is committing adultery. If he may, so there's, there's all these lingering issues that come. Now, the thing we have to know is, is divorce the unforgivable sin? No. Will God and can God redeem new marriages? Absolutely. And I think that's why Jesus spends so much time focusing on the marriage unit. Can God redeem? Can God make it right? Absolutely. Listen, you're going to find a lot of different views on this, especially in the church. But man, the thing that I refuse to see is that divorce is the unredeemable sin. But we have to acknowledge and believe that divorce will always have lingering effects. When you bring blended situations, I mean, and, and I'm sure that people within the context of a divorce relationship in a remarried status dealing with family would acknowledge and, 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 and say like, yeah, it's, it's been difficult. It's been hard. There are even maybe now are lingering effects years and years and years after the case. And so that's what Jesus is telling us. He says, listen, you know, in, in verse 31, yes, the certificate of divorce, this situation, this is when it happens. And then when it's brought up again in, in chapter 19, he says, listen, we're not going to focus on the end. Because that's not what I want. Why? Because the end, that is going to bring lingering effects. That amputation is going to affect you. It's going to affect you negatively in some way, shape, or form. But if we can, let's go back to here. Let's remember why it was put together. Let's remember what it's founded on. Let's remember that God's hand is at work in the midst of this holy covenant. And not only that, but because we see these rhythms, especially throughout the New Testament... We can know that it's important to God because marriage is a picture of the gospel. God gave us marriage, the covenantal relationship between a man and a woman, to be this physical representation of man's relationship to a holy God. You know, we see that in Ephesians chapter 5 when it talks about submitting as the church to Christ. You know, when it's talking about the wife and it's talking about the husband, love as Christ loves the church. So the the marriage covenant is this representation of the gospel. And even with our kids, you know, this is a a purposeful conversation me and my wife tried to have when we're talking through our own personal relationship or how we deal with things or how we present our relationship to our kids. You know, it's like we never want to let our kids never see us have issues because they need to know that in a marriage you have issues, you work through those issues, and that you come out on the other side and you learn from it and you're better from it or whatever it might be because that's the nature of our relationship to God, right? There's failure, there's missteps, and what does God do? God helps us. He teaches us through it. He reclaims us. He restores us, and we begin to take better steps. And that's the ebbs and flow all through the Old Testament of God's God's relationship to His people. Israel would fail. They would succeed. They would fall. God would pick them up. God would fight their battles. They would succeed. They would fall. They would fail. God would fight their battles. It's the same thing with us now in our relationship to a holy God, And it's represented, it's visualized in our relationships between our spouses. That relationship between a man and a wife is a visual representation of the gospel. You know, I truly believe that our children 
will create their perception of their relationship to God based off of their mother and father's relationship to each other. It's going to help them understand the, the covenant because we as Christians, as born-again believers, if you're born again this morning, you have a covenantal relationship with God that He has more than fulfilled on His end. And so then our relationship between our spouses is the same way. It's a covenantal, it's an earthly relationship that is an imperfect, imperfect visual representation of God's care and love and sacrifice. And so that's why Jesus puts so much emphasis on what is the beginning of it? What is the value of it? Listen, because marriage is tough, right? And I love my wife, and I know my wife loves me, but some of the hardest things I've navigated in my entire life have happened within the context of my marriage, whether it's because of my own stupidity, whether that's just navigating stressful situations, new phases of life, new steps. Man, marriage is hard. It's tough. But also remembering and knowing that Jesus confidently states, let no man separate it. And let that man that would not separate it even be us. Let us not separate that. Because God is at work in the midst of it. God is using it. God is using the grace that happens within that relationship. God is using the mercy that happens in that relationship. God is using the love and the concern and the compassion that can happen in the context of that relationship if we will allow Him to, if we will lean into that truth with Him. And then so the natural progression in, in Jesus, I love how Jesus even mentioned this because then the question we have to ask ourselves now is, what about those who are not married? Maybe by circumstance, you know, maybe by choice. You know, he says here, he begins to speak of these people who are born circumstantially into a situation where they would not get married. And he says in verse 11 of chapter 19, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. And then he continues on at the end of verse 12 and he says, for the sake, they receive this, for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And so as we look into the relationship or the, the, the calling of even a widow or a, widow or, a widower, or, or even those, you know, and the Bible talks about, you know, not the marriage isn't the, the, the pinnacle of spiritual experience. I mean, some people may be single. There's a beauty in singleness too. There's different struggles that come with that, but there is a beauty in singleness. You know, the Bible talks about there being a different level of sexual temptation and that type of thing uh, within the context of singleness, but Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 7, 7. He says, I wish that all were as I am, myself am, but each has his own gift from God and one of one kind and one of another. And so we have to understand that even if we're not navigating in the context of a relationship, Currently, whether that's by choice or whether that's by circumstance, man, God still intends to bring usage and value and beauty in the kingdom of work that's there. 1 Corinthians 7, 32 through 35, it says, I want you to be free from anxieties. He says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. She says, I say, 
say this. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. And so regardless of how we navigate that space, there's going to be the things that pull us and we navigate. So, you know, and I love that Jesus, and I only mention it because Jesus mentions it's here in, in Matthew chapter 19, the singleness. You know, but the thing that we have to know and the reason that Jesus leans into this, like I said, he goes back to the beginning. Like we said, divorce is not the unforgivable sin. God can redeem and restore. And God, you know, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that he makes our path straight, you know, and that there are certain situations at which that amputation may be necessary. Hardness of heart, unbelieving spouse, um, you know, sexual immorality. There may be circumstances at which that amputation is necessary, but I, I just I, the focus for us this morning, what I believe Jesus really wanted us to see with this, is that when the question came up, he didn't spend a lot of time on the end. He focused on the beginning. He focused on what it's built on. He focused on the value of the relationship. And, and, and for us now, whether we're in a committed current relationship, we're in a, a, a second marriage, third marriage, whatever it might be, within the context of our marriage covenant now, that's what's important. Not where we were, but where we are now. He says, no, that God made it, that God molded it, that God has, 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 has cultivated it, and that God will continue to use it. And that in the context of our marriage, that God wants to proliferate the idea of the gospel from that space to help us know, to help us know and see the relationship that God has to man. That God's relationship to man is beautiful. That God's relationship to man is gracious and, and merciful and forgiving. And that's what God wants from us. Is there an amputation process? Yes, there is. Is it and should it be our very, very last resort? Yes. But where he wants us to see, and, and the worship team can go ahead and make their way up, and we're going to sing together this morning. But what he wants us to see is the beauty of a relationship, the beauty of God's creation, the beauty of the molding that God does, the beauty of commitment, the beauty of leaning into the difficult, the beauty of working through, the beauty of patience, the beauty of commitment, the beauty of just giving everything, submission and love and mercy and meekness, just pouring ourselves out for each other in the context of our relationship with each other, but also in the context of our relationship with a holy God. That as God looks at us, as God considers us, as the Bible talks about our relationship between us and Him, and this is the thing we have to know, is that the Bible presents us as an unfaithful bride. Do you know that? That God's Word presents us, humanity, in His creation as an unfaithful bride. And God uses a story in the book of Hosea to communicate this relationship of a husband going after his spouse who it says is a prostitute constantly running back into the arms of another lover. And what does God instruct him to do? Go after your bride. Go after your bride. Go after your bride. And why God wants us to have such a view of the relationship between man and wife is because He wants us to understand the relationship that God has to us and that God is pursuing us. 
God is coming after us, that God does not push us away, that God does not forget about us, that God does not even let us stay in the arms of another lover, that God comes to us and he says, hey, I have a place for you at the table. I have better love for you than you'll ever find in anything else this world offers you, that I have better grace for you, I have better mercy for you, I have better value for you, I have better beauty for you in the relationship that you have to Jesus rather than the relationship that we have to anything else. So he says, let no man separate that. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love and the grace of our holy God. And that is something to celebrate. And that is something to worship. And not only that, but that's something worth us pursuing. And so the challenge for us this morning is to consider that. You know, first off, the more practical, where we are. Let's consider our marriages. Let's consider the difficulties that we're facing. And let's consider what we're doing to contribute to the molding, to the holding fast, to the grabbing a hold of and leaning into that unity together. What are we doing to contribute to that within the context of our relationships and our marriage? Because why? Because it's a visualization of the gospel before our children, before our church, and before the world. When we navigate difficult situations, when we're upset, when we're mad, when we're hurt, when we're disappointed. That even though, even though because the Bible says it, there's a time for the amputation. He says, let's try not to. Because there's going to be lingering effects. There's going to be ripples that will never cease, that you'll constantly deal with. He says, this is what I want to see. God created a man and woman that they become one unit. They hold fast to each other and let no man separate. And then not only that, outside of the covenantal relationship between a man and a wife, which we we consider this morning, pray about this morning. But then even beyond that, consider your relationship to a holy God. Know that God is the great groom that will never, never leave his bride. There's going to be a lot of things. Our earthly spouses will leave us at some point or another. I'm not saying they'll divorce us, but they'll, they're going to pass on. There's going to be something that happens. But the beautiful thing about our relationship with God is He says, you know, I'm not going to leave you by death. I'm not going to leave you by deserting you. I'm not going to leave you by being disappointed in you. I'm not going to leave you by dismissing you. Says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That there's no earthly relationship that will bind you up the way that I can. And that within the context of our binding to a holy God, that He binds our marital relationships together even stronger. So, can we consider that this morning? Consider your relationship to a holy God this morning, first and foremost. And then, if, if you're a married person here this morning, consider your space in the context of your marriage, how we're contributing to that binding, how we're seeking God together and what God is doing in the context of that. And then allow God to use those things to challenge us, to move us towards the grace and the glory that he has. So can 
we stand this morning together and then we're going to pray and see God. There's some chairs behind this curtain. If you would like a space to just go and just pray and see God, maybe as an individual, maybe as a couple, whatever it might be, to just pray and seek after God this morning and bring clarity to some of the things we've talked about this morning, then I want to really encourage you to do that. Whether it's between your relationship to another person or your relationship to a holy God this morning, to know what God is in the midst of all of those things and seek after him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much. Lord, we thank you so much for the beauty of your name. God, we thank you so much for the, the example of this relationship that you've shown us in your grace and your mercy towards broken humanity and all our failure and all our weaknesses. God, that I just pray that you would just help us to see the value in our relationship to you. God, that in in all things, God, that we would just seek to cultivate that relationship to you. God, to grow that relationship to you in a mighty, beautiful way. God, and I pray for every marriage here this morning. God, I pray that you would just reinforce the beauty of that covenant. God, that even in the midst of some of our most difficult circumstances and deepest hurts, God, that you would lead both sides of that covenantal relationship to constantly seek back towards the foundational place at which you started with us. And that is you holding fast to us, molding us together, making us one flesh together that no man can separate. God, let us see the beauty in that work. God, let us be actively a part of, together as a a spiritual couple, God, the work at which you do and can do in the midst of that relationship. And then, God, even in in singleness and widow or widowers, God, or whatever circumstance is brought about, God, just cultivate an understanding of the value that they have in this kingdom of God and the work of ministry and evangelism that is still left. things in that they find their purpose and value and peace and love and comfort in you. Lord, we just love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name.